Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Somebody once said that what we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in this life echoes in eternity. All of our daily tasks, you know, some of us, we get so caught up in what we do daily, moment by moment, day by day, and oftentimes it can feel like life moves really slowly. Like every day we just show up and we push a few things forward a little bit and then we go home and it doesn't feel like we make progress overall. Or Sometimes it's even hard to see the deeper meaning in life. Sometimes it's even hard to see the, the deeper purpose in what God has for each one of our lives. But overall, when you take your life together as a sum total, if you look back at the years that you've lived, the, the Bible says, Moses actually says, God, teach me to number my days. Teach me to know the brevity of life, how short life really is, so that I may live my life in wisdom. So if you understand that we have this, this moment in time where each of us get to run a race, where each of us get to do what God has called us to do, then rather than worrying about all the mundane things of life and rather than, than, being, than being caught up in things that are so temporal, pursuing temporal things, we can live for eternity. And that is what Revelation really does for us. That's why we called this series Awe and Eternity because it puts us in awe of who God is and it gives us a perspective on eternity that changes the way we live today. So tomorrow changes today. Tomorrow, though, if you understand tomorrow, if you understand the hope that you have, it changes the way you will live your life today. And so the question I want to ask you this morning as starting out is, what are you pursuing? And I don't want the, the correct Christian theological answer there. Um, if I really wanted to know what you were pursuing in life, I would just need to look at two things. The one would be your diary, and the other one would, look, would be your, your transaction history on, uh, you know, on, on your bank account. Because oftentimes we say, yes, I pursue the glory of God, but then in, in, when it comes down to how we actually spend our lives and spend our time and spend our money, it reveals that we pursue something different. And so if we're honest with ourselves this morning, the question is, what are we really pursuing as the main goal of our lives? In light of eternity, in light of the truth of Scripture, because many people will say, I, I worship God, I serve God, I glorify God, I live for Jesus. That might even be your, your status on Facebook, you know, serving the one only king, daughter of the kings, you know, whatever. Every, everybody's got their Christian status on Facebook. But does that translate to how you live your la life in a, in a daily sense? Too few people actually define this for themselves. Following Jesus doesn't just mean coming to church once a week. It ultimately means that you have been transformed, that your life has been transformed. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be a lifelong learner where the values of the kingdom become your own values. And we see this oftentimes when we have young Christians or those that have recently come to faith is that they have this relationship with Jesus, but the process of our change and our transformation and our sanctification is actually that we not only say that we believe that Jesus exists, but that we allow Jesus to change us, that we surrender all the things we valued before, that we surrender all the things we looked to before for affirmation and for hope and for confidence and for security and, and for significance, that we surrender those things and we say, God, I believe that my life is in your hand. And what you value is what I want to value. 
And there's a process where we are discipled by the Holy Spirit and by the Scriptures and by one another to the point where the values of the kingdom become our values. It's a powerful thing, and we can notice this in people as leaders. When people have kingdom values, you can see it right off. You can see it in the way that they worship. You can see it in the way that they give. You can see it in the way that they serve. You can see it in the way that they conduct themselves. There is something that changes about your life when the kingdom values have become your values. Too many people, especially in our millennial generation, say, I serve Jesus, but I will decide what I do in this area of my life. I serve Jesus, but I won't allow the Scriptures or anybody else to dictate to me or even suggest to me how I should be living my life in this area. If I want to do it this way, I'm going to do it. And that is, if nothing else, immaturity. It's immaturity at best and sinful at worst. Because at the end of the day, we either surrender our lives to Jesus or we don't. We either allow Him to be our Father and our Savior and our Lord, or we don't. And, the, and, and so many people accept the benefits of salvation. They, wanna, they want that ticket into heaven, but then in their daily lives, they don't pursue heaven. They don't pursue eternity. They don't live with eternity in mind. And they reject the opportunity. This is more than, more than anything else. It's rejecting the opportunity to live for something that has eternal value. To give your life and your time to something that is going to outweigh any sacrifice that you could make in the weight of its glory. And that will have an eternal reward. And this is the perspective that Revelation longs to bring to us, that God is giving us through um, this vision He gave to John. And, uh, you know, Matthew 6 verse 19, I'll start there this morning, says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Like, don't make it all about this world and this life and everything you can have right now. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's saying, where's your heart? Are you anchored in this world and in the temporal things? And are you pursuing things that have very little eternal value? And you might say, no, 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 of course not, of course not. But once again, does that, is that reflected in your daily life? Because God has given us the, the grace, the privilege. This is something we could never have had in our own strength. This is something religion could never have given us. Following the law would never have been able to do for us. We have the opportunity to invest in eternity. We have the opportunity to invest in heaven. Where your treasure is in heaven, there your heart will also be. So if you set your mind on things above, if you set your, your heart in eternity, your life, your treasure, your virtue, your money, your, whatever you have will begin to find its way to that place. So Jesus directly calls us to live for eternity. And I'll never forget when I was... When I was sitting with a group of pastors, and I've shared this story many times before, but it was such a, a defining moment for me, but I was sitting with a group of pastors, 
uh, years ago. I was a youth pastor. I was the youngest in the room by maybe 15 or 20 years out of this group of maybe 16 pastors and their wives. And the pastor asked one question, and the question he asked is, what motivates you? Now, that's a simple leadership question. I've asked my team that many times. You know, we're always talking about the why. Uh, why do we do this? Why do we, you know, why do we give what we give? Why do we do what we do? So that's a, that's a very standard leadership question. But as I started to think about it, I tapped in really deep into, at the core of it, what do I believe about my life? What do I believe about why I'm alive? What do I believe about, about the reason that God has, has called me to do what He's called me to do? And I started to cry while thinking about this answer. And because I was the youngest, everybody else got an opportunity to speak. It took about 30 minutes or so, and this entire time I was in tears. This entire time I was, you know, just basically weeping, thinking about my life and thinking about what I've been called to. And when I eventually got a chance to speak, even when it was my turn, I couldn't even get words out. And when I did, I sounded like a 12-year-old girl. But when I eventually got the words out, and these were just such defining words for me, is that I said, there are those that have gone before me. You know, my, my grandfather, um, you know, preached the gospel faithfully his entire life, earned almost no money, had six kids, moved to one church, moved down to uh, Grahamstown, um, was welcomed by three staff members and a cake to the new congregation. They said, we're so glad you're here, Pastor. The only issue is we have no money to pay you. Didn't take a salary for six months with six kids. They had no food. They just relied on friends and neighbors bringing fruit over to the house every now and again, and he was resolute, never said a word about it, never said a word about it. He's just, we're here to preach the gospel. We're here to do what God has called us to do. And I thought about my grandfather and those that have gone before us, and I'm sure that you have people that have spoken into your life and that, and that, have, that have led you in your journey. And, and, and so I, have, I thought about those, that there are those that have come before us, and there will be those that will come after us but this is my opportunity to run. This is my turn to run. And I just realized, I don't know, for so often we fall into this thing of thinking that this is like a dress rehearsal and one day I'll start living my real life for God. That's just, there is no dress rehearsal. There isn't another chance. You get this one chance, each of us. And all of us have already, the race is already being run. You're already running. The, you know, the, gun, the starter gun has gone off. It's not going to start at some later date. It's now is the opportunity that you have to run. And the truth is that even like with my dad, nobody knows how long our race is. You know, we're mourning my dad this morning and, 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 and we're praying for him and we're, we're thinking about him and we're thinking about his life. But so often we think about everybody else's lives and, 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 you know, what they're facing. We never think that it could be any one of us, any day, any moment, and so we must live every day to the glory of God. That's what the Scriptures encourages us to do. It's my turn to run. We get this one opportunity. Last week, we were in Revelation 19, and we saw how Jesus arrives as the rider on the white horse, this warrior, after the marriage feast. He rides into battle, and the false prophet and the Antichrist have set up this, this battle against Jesus. And, and we know that there may be an actual battle like this in the Valley of Megiddo. But we know that it also means something far deeper than that. We know that Revelation kind of has this constant parallel. We know that we face Armageddons daily in our own lives as we face battles against our faith and against our salvation. 
But in this moment, we know that there will come a time where Jesus will take care of these political forces of coercion in the world's culture, as well as religious deception that lead people away from God. And he shows up and he forcibly removes them. He deals with them. You think it's going to be this big epic battle? And it's over in a second. Jesus just comes and the sword from his mouth, his word, the truth of God, just removes them. And the Bible tells us that they are taken and they are thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, the lake of fire, which is different descriptions that the Bible gives for an, a, a, a final place of torment. And so um, we see that, that, and this is so important to know because many people say, well, why would God send people to hell? Or why would God create a hell? And, and I always tell them, God didn't create hell for people. He created it as a place for the, you know, you know his enemies in the sense of Satan and his followers. But even though he, and we've seen through this entire book, no matter how many shakings God brought across the earth trying to get people to turn to him, people choose to share that fate. They choose instead to harden their hearts and to face that same fate. And we'll get to that towards the end of this, but, but we see in this moment that Jesus takes care of this false prophet and the Antichrist the beast, they are dispatched. And then in Revelation 20, in the beginning, we see how Satan is, first of all, bound for a thousand years. I want to read Revelation 20, verse 4 to 6. Again, there's different theories on this. Some people say we're in the thousand-year reign right now, that Satan is restricted to a certain extent, and that, and that you know, we are essentially, as the church, it's the, you know, this time where we as the church get to reign on the earth with Jesus, and that's a, the amillennialist view. And there's other views like that. And in this entire series, our heart has not been to argue about different views because we think that when you get into that, you could really miss the point of what's really being said here. The point is, is that we are called to be faithful. We are called to understand that the world will not always continue as it is. Those that say so are scoffers, are mockers, as 2 Peter says. But we are people of faith. We know that God is only now. He's not slack concerning His promise, but He is patient, just waiting because He doesn't desire for anyone to perish. He is just giving people more of an opportunity, more and more people an opportunity to turn to Him in faith. Revelation 20 verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones. And seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and the word of God, the martyrs, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. In other words, those that didn't fall for the deception of this world but remained faithful in Jesus. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in, the first, in this first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. That's such a hopeful scripture for me. That's such a hopeful scripture for all of us. Like we might die physically, but we are not dead spiritually. We only transition. For us, death is a transition into glory, into eternity, into the presence of Jesus. The first resurrection on, and the uh, over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And so, again, without getting into all the different eschatological views on this passage, what I believe is that your faithfulness to Jesus carries a reward. 
We're talking about living for eternity, and Jesus says, there's a reward to your faithfulness. And it's so unfair. That's why I believe it's grace upon grace, because if without His grace, we wouldn't be faithful. It's His faithfulness that makes us faithful. So now we have the opportunity to be faithful, not even because we're faithful, but because He's gracious, and then He's going to reward us for the thing He graced us to do. It's just grace upon grace upon grace. There was no merit to our faithfulness. There's nothing that gave us the ability to be faithful, but yet... God still gives us the opportunity to choose and thereby, through choosing to be faithful, receiving a greater reward. So many people work for recognition and position in this world. And even in the church, this can become a trap. So often we want to fight for recognition. Do people know my name? Do they listen to my sermons? Do they read my books? You know, how, how many people are inviting me to come and preach in their church? And it can become just like the world system, just with a Christian edge to it. But God doesn't call us to seek our own recognition. He only calls us to lift up the name of Jesus. He only calls us to glorify Him. And in glorifying Him, there is a reward that you may not even see in this life. You may not even experience. And I believe that God looks after us, cares for us, blesses us, absolutely. But ultimately, what the heavenly reward looks like for our faithfulness is so much greater than what we can receive even in this world. The high point of Christianity is not recognition. The high point of Christianity, of the Christian life, is the word faithfulness. Faithfulness. That is what the, the thing is that we're all pursuing. What are we pursuing? We're pursuing to be faithful. What is Anchor Church pursuing? Faithfulness. If Jesus tells us to do something, we do it. That's our greatest goal. That's our greatest vision. That's, that's, our, that's our strategy for church growth and planting. Let's be faithful to Jesus. Luke 19, 17, Jesus tells this parable, and he says, and he said to him, well done, good servant. This is, that's, that's, that's the reward right there. Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little you shall have authority over 10 cities. And I've always connected that scripture in Luke 19 to what it tells us in Revelation 20, how those that have been faithful will be made ruler over nations, over cities with Jesus. In other words, we're not even, we're not even working towards status in this world. But we understand that there is a new world coming, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and in that time, we want to reign with Jesus. How are you going to reign with Jesus? By faithfulness in this life. At one point, Paul says, how will we go to human courts to be judged by those that don't know Christ? Do you not know that the believers will judge the world? That we will be in positions of judicial power in days to come in the new world and in the new order. And there's obviously a lot of speculation of what that would look like, and that's not the point this morning. The point is, is that faithfulness carries a reward. And a part of that reward is authority in the time to come. Because you have been faithful, you will have authority. What we do on earth echoes in eternity. Thank God that we have the opportunity to serve, and I think I need, to, I need to share this message more often with my team. We've got an incredible team, and the guys always work so hard and have always been so faithful. 
And, uh, and sometimes, like we, when we decided to transition from one service to two services, which has been such an amazing thing for us, and, and I can share with you this morning that our October, this last October, compared to last October, we're up 36% in attendance, just because of the three services we do first um, service. And that's, that's individuals. We're not counting people double if they're serving on a team or coming in the evening. Because we just have a heart to do everything we can with this one opportunity that we have to run. And so, so many times we have to stretch our team members, and I'm speaking to our team right now, the, the band and the, the guys that serve and the guys that work so hard and the guys that are here to all hours of the night setting up. And, you know, what I want to tell you is that you can thank me because all I'm really doing by asking you to serve is increasing your eternal reward, Right? If you're not scheduled and I phone you and I'm like, hey, we need you today, your reward just keeps growing. You've got to go, thank you, Pastor Adrian. Because of you, I will have a greater reward in heaven, all right? Is that cool with the team? Can we do that? Because of you, the, the, the eternal reward is growing. But ultimately, as a church, as leadership, and, and we're here not to do the work of the ministry, remember that. We're here to equip you for the work of the, the ministry. The ministry is in your hands. The word minister means to fill a need. The ministry is in your hands. We're just the equippers and the encouragers, right? And ultimately, what we're doing here at Anchor is that we are making people very, very rich. We're making people rich, not in the earthly sense, but in eternity. We're making you rich in reward before Jesus because we want you to discover your destiny and then start making an eternal difference that will abound to your account in heaven. This is a great opportunity that we have. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Do it with all your heart as for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So band, when you guys are, are rehearsing to all hours of the night, or when guys are setting up, or when we're visiting people that, that need prayer, or whatever we do as a church together, when we go out and we reach out, what we are receiving in that, what we are doing in that moment is we're serving Jesus. We may be serving one another, but we serve one another in service of Christ and in the calling of Christ. At the end of that thousand years, we see that Satan is then released. He tries one last gasp effort, and he's overcome eternally. And we see in Revelation 20, verse 10, and this is the end of the one who has plagued the world for these centuries. It says in Revelation 20, 10, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the end of this unholy trinity that came against Jesus, this world system that tried to deceive people. Now comes the time of judgment, of the judgment for every individual. The time that all of us will face in one way or another. Revelation 20 verse 11 to 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne, which just symbolizes righteousness in judgment and in and holiness. And him who was seated on it from the presence of the earth, so, sorry, from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. 
And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is, an, this is one of those scriptures that pastors tend to avoid reading in church. And that's why we love doing this like this, because we don't want to avoid anything. We, we understand the full purpose of everything over and over and over and over. In the book of Revelation and before, we have seen God's heart is to save people, to save people, to save people. Even after every tremor, after every seal was broken, after every trumpet blast blew, after every bowl was poured out, God still gave people an opportunity to repent. And the Bible says that they didn't. Instead, they worshipped demons. Instead, they chose to give their hearts and their allegiance to things that were actually harming them. That is the tragedy of sin in this world. And now we come to this place where the, the dead are given up and stand before God. And, and, and many people think about this physically, and remember this is a spiritual, uh, uh, you know, this is a spiritual event. You think about, uh, you know, where are those people right now? It says, it says the sea gave up their dead, and, and Hades gave up their dead. And, and ultimately what it is is that, um, and I'm going to try and explain this to you real briefly, but, and again, there's very, many different theories on this, but in essence, before the time of Jesus, the Bible spoke about the afterlife. Hades just, or Sheol just simply means the afterlife. And it speaks about a place of torment in the afterlife, and it speaks about, for, those, for the unrighteous, and it speaks about Abraham's bosom as those who had faith in God. Abraham believed in God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. And so even in the Old Testament, if you had heart faith, instead you were able to go into this place of waiting. But it wasn't the final heaven. It wasn't presence with God like it is today. And when it says in Ephesians 4 that Jesus having descended into the depths of the earth, led captivity captive. It means he took those that were captive and he led them into heaven. He led them into the presence of God. And so if you're a believer today and you pass away, you are instantly in God's presence. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in a moment. But for those who don't put their faith in Jesus, there is still a place of waiting before the final judgment. And then the final judgment comes in this moment and then those will be judged eternally uh, according to uh, what they decided to do with Jesus. The most important question in this life, what have you done with Jesus? What, where have you put your faith regarding Him? So God, the creator of, it, of the, the earth, now sits as the righteous judge of every heart, and everyone will stand there, great and small, and books are opened. And the first book that we see opened here is called the Book of Life. In the Old Testament, the book of life or its equivalents was a register of the citizens of Israel. If you, were, if you were of the faith, if you believed in God, and if you were a part of the nation of Israel, your name was put down in, in a role in this, this theocratic community called Israel. You belonged to God. You belonged to the people of Israel. And the Bible says that in that same sense, God in His foreknowledge knows those that are His. He knows people that have put their faith in Him. He knows the people that are not yet born who will put their faith in Him. And so Philippians 4.3, for example, Paul says, Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book 
of life. Some people say you've got to serve God in order to have your name in the book of life. Do you know what I believe? I believe your name is in the book of life and therefore you serve God. If your faith is in Jesus, your name's already there. You don't have to worry about your name. But we do have to serve God. Revelation 13, 8 says, whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And we saw this earlier in Revelation. In other words, your name was written in God's foreknowledge in that book before the earth was even formed. So you can know today that if your name is in the book of life, that you have the grace that you need to run the race that God has called you to run. So we serve God because we belong to Him. We don't belong to Him because we serve Him. And that's an important, that we do serve Him, but you've got to get that right first. You belong, and then you behave. Too many people, too many Christians behave, and they don't actually belong. It's just religious, it's just self-righteousness, and the Scripture doesn't want us to get this wrong. So faith records your name in that book. And for believers, we are rescued from judgment. This is what Jesus did for us on the cross. This is where we again see why the cross was so important. For unbelievers, both past and present, books are kept. And the dead are judged what, about what is written in that book. The Bible says, you will be held accountable for every idle word ever spoken. Who can stand before that kind of judgment? I mean, if we just have to take a record of everything you say, of everything we've done, who could, who could make up by trying to be good? You know, a lot of people believe that the difference between heaven and hell is if you're good, as long as your good outweighs your bad. You ask people, how do you get to heaven? Just be a good person. What's your scale for that? You say, well, how do you know you're a good person? Well, I'm not Hitler. That's always the one they go to. It's like, you pick the worst person in history and you're gonna compare yourself to that. That's, you know, it's like if somebody says, are you, a, are you a good cricketer? I say, well, compared to my six-year-old boys, I'm brilliant, you know? I think I'm pretty good. I do feel good about my cricket when I play with them in the yard. So, but, but we always do that. We always convince ourselves that it's goodness that gets us into heaven. But it's not goodness that gets people into heaven. It's forgiveness. It's grace. It's faith. But for those who don't put their faith in Jesus, it says they will face the second death, this eternal judgment. It's one thing to die physically, but the scripture says that you can die twice. And that's the greatest tragedy. That's the worst thing that can happen to any human being. To die once physically is one thing, but to die twice and be eternally removed. And for me, I've always thought about it, you know, people debate whether there's going to be actual fire and, and what it's actually going to look like and all that. And again, I think you can get lost in that. Here's for me the thing that really um, sums up what hell looks like. The absence of hope. The absence of hope. People go, it's hell on earth. No, it's not hell on earth. You still have hope. Doesn't matter who you are. It could be your last breath. There's still hope as long as you're alive. As long as you're breathing, you can put your faith in Jesus. But the absence of hope is pure hell. And that's what it looks like for those who die twice. God does nothing more than honor the choice that people make to, when they say, God, leave me alone. It breaks his heart, but ultimately he has given us that choice to make. 
2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear. Now, this is what happens, because you're saying there's judgment here, but what about us? I thought Jesus took my judgment. Am I going to stand before the great white throne? But 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may, may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And again, we read that scripture, and we go, wow, okay, so we're not going to stand before the white, great white throne, but we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to receive according to what we've done. And so what does that mean? I thought there wasn't judgment. I thought there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I thought Jesus paid the price. I thought he was judged on my behalf. How can I now still be judged? This judgment seat, um, the word also beamer seat of Christ is used. And this word beamer seat, judgment seat of Christ is a Greek word. And it looks a little bit different. The beamer seat is... The bema is a tribunal that would be held, for example, after a sporting event or after games that were held like they had in those days, some, some, something similar to the Olympic Games. But in these large Olympic arenas, there was often an elevated seat in ancient times on which the judge of the contest sat. He's watching those that are running. He's watching those that are competing. He's watching those that are going about their race. And he sat there and watched over the contestants. And then afterwards, all the contestants and the successful competitors would assemble before the beamer seat to receive their reward. In other words, this is, this is a judging for reward as opposed to a judging for punishment, a judgment for sin. Jesus is no longer going to judge us, or God is not going to judge us for our sin. We're not going to face the great white throne. That's why the first book that's opened up is the book of life. And if you're in the book of life, you're judged in an entire different way. Our judgment comes in the form of what our reward will look like in eternity. It was a judicial bench, not where somebody was condemned, but where they were, where they were rewarded. And so the Christian life is a race. And the Bible says that Jesus is the divine umpire of this race, watching how we run. And after the race is over for each believer, God will gather every member of his church, of his bride, before the beamer seat for the purpose of giving the proper reward to each, the due reward. 1 Corinthians 3.10 is a scripture that, is, that has always stood with me, and it's always been the perfect counterpart for me in understanding grace the right way. Because you know that as, as a church, the finished work of the cross, the grace of, of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is central. We are a gospel-centric church. And then so many people fall into it and go, well, that just means I'll do what I want. But yet the scriptures still call us to live a certain way, and then it speaks of these rewards. And to me, it's because of the grace. We've spoken about that a few weeks ago. If you weren't here, we had a pillow, and I said that grace is both the pillow and the spade. It's rest in Jesus. We're not working for significance. We're not working for salvation. It's rest. But out of the rest, it's also a spade. We get to work. It's the pillow and the spade. And there are these books that are opened up and everything that you do for Jesus, there's not a single prayer that you've prayed. There's not a single you know, tear that you've cried. There's not a single cent that you've given. There's not a single you know, moment in which you encouraged somebody around you, the community group that you led, the time that you showed up to help with setup, 
You know, the chair that you packed away, there's not a single thing you've done for Jesus that he hasn't recorded. That he hasn't recorded. The wisest thing we can do is spend every minute we have being faithful to Jesus, serving him. 1 Corinthians 3.10 says, let each one of us take care how he builds. The, the, the previous verse there says, no other foundation can, oh, sorry, it's, it's there, sorry. Let each one of you take care how he builds upon it, talking about this foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other that, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, if we're gonna build a life, Jesus is the rock. He's the foundation. And you cannot build a Christian life on anything other than who Jesus is. His faithfulness, the finished work of the cross, that's the grace of God. It says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious st stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become man manifest for the day, capital D, the day of judgment, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but, as, but only as through fire. And so this gives us, you know, gold and silver and precious jewels as a symbol for things that, that last, things that are eternal, things that have genuine value. And then it contrasts that with hay, straw, stubble, things that, that are temporary. If you were gonna, if you were gonna build yourself a house, and let's say it was gonna stand at the coast, and you know that the, the storms from the ocean were gonna beat against that house, and you had the option to build your house out of gold or out of hay, which one would you choose if you wanted a house that will still be standing 100 years from now, 200 years from now, 300 years from now? Nobody would choose the hay and the wood and the straw. And the scriptures are saying is that Jesus has paid the price. Jesus has given you the perfect opportunity to build for eternity. But you get to choose what you build. And so my question this morning, the scripture begs this question. What are you building with? Are you just putting all your time and effort into temporal things that really don't matter? Or are you building for eternity? Because when we stand before the seat of Jesus, the holiness of God, that fire just simply separates things that are earthly from things that are eternal. And the question is, what will happen to what you've done with your life? Will it just burn away like it was just all temporal? Or will you have some things that you will carry through into eternity as a reward? Everything that we do for Jesus is building with those precious materials, those eternal materials. One of the greatest things that you can do is lead other people to Jesus. In the book of Daniel, it says that, that wise are those who lead people to God. They will shine like stars in the firmament forever. When we lead people to Jesus, when we share the gospel, when we share hope with others, we're building for an eternal reward. There's no other foundation, but we get to decide what we will burn or what we will build. 
and things that are eternal. If, we, if all you've done in this life, all you've done with your salvation is build for today, what am I going to get for today? You will be saved. This is not a question about salvation. But you will suffer loss. You won't have that reward in heaven. So there is something for us to work towards. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. In other words, we're running for something. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it for a perishable wreath. Again, that's the, the, the straw. It's a, it's a reward that you get now, but you know, it's a wreath that they used to put around their, sh their, their, their necks as the victors. But, but come find that wreath a month later lying in the cupboard and it's, it's perished. It means nothing at the end of the day. But when we run, we run for an imperishable wreath or an imperishable reward. That's what we have the opportunity to do, church. When we run the race that Jesus has called us to, we run for an imperishable crown, an imperishable reward, an eternal reward. And Jesus says, no one who has not left houses and properties and sacrificed anything in this life will not receive multiple times, multiple times, a reward in eternity and even in this age. This is what we got. So what are you living for at the end of the day? What are you truly pursuing? Earthly pursuits or eternity? I love this quote. It's a well-known quote within Christianity, but it's for a good reason. It's by a guy called Jim Elliott. He was a missionary in South America who was uh, murdered, who was martyred um, as he was reaching out to indigenous tribes um, in South America, but he said this. Do we have that slide? You can go ahead and put it up. He said this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Our temporal parts of our lives, including these bodies we walk around in, we're not going to keep for eternity. So why invest it all here? If this body is but a tent and life is but a mist before the sun. Why would we invest there? But what we get to do is invest in a place where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. And it's all about how we live our lives in, empowered by God's grace in light of eternity. And I want to encourage you, church, let's live for eternity. Amen? That time of judgment is a great day for us when we receive our reward from the hand of Jesus. And I pray that our mission is to make sure that as few people as, as possible stand before the great white throne of judgment. That's why we're here. That's why we won't keep quiet. That's why we won't quit. Because there are people that need to be transitioned from the great white throne of judgment to the beamer seat of Christ. And that is our mission while we still have time. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning as we pray?